this is the in focus podcast from the hindu hello and welcome to the hindu's in focus podcast i'm amit barua your host for today in an interview to the hindu in february this year ravi chopra said that until 10 years ago he believed that it was possible for the state of uttarakhand to have hydropower projects without damaging the environment the iit bombay graduate has since changed his mind founder director of the people science institute in dehradun ravi chopra headed a committee in 2014 that said no to the construction of hydro projects in areas 2200 to 2500 meters above sea level In February this year over 200 persons were killed and the 13.2 megawatt Rishiganga project was washed away the 512 megawatt Tapovan Vishnugarh hydro project was damaged even as Uttarakhand deals with the impact of climate issues the environment ministry has permitted the construction of seven ongoing hydro projects in Uttarakhand what does this mean for the vulnerable himalayan state to answer some of these questions we have with us Ravi Chopra Welcome to In Focus Ravi. Thank you Amit. Ravi let me begin by asking you what do you think of the environment ministry's decision to allow the construction of seven partially constructed hydro projects in Uttarakhand in the light of recent flooding and deaths. I think it's a most unwise decision. It's an it will be challenged in the courts as being illegal and it's a breaking of the assurance given in 2019 by the prime minister's office that any project which is less than 50% complete will not be allowed anymore okay right all proposed projects are cancelled and under construction if it is less than 50% constructed it will be cancelled So you are saying that uh, uh, all these seven are less than fifty percent constructed? Is that what you are saying? No, that's not what I am saying. Now, out of these, there are um, two that are definitely cannot be considered as fifty percent constructed. In fact, they are zero percent constructed, according to me. The first one is the Tapovan Vishnugarh project, which was you said. damaged i would say very severely damaged by the uh, flood in february see what happens when you have a flood of this kind the bed level of the river the river geomorphology as well as the bed level of the river changes very significantly if i'm not mistaken government data says uh, that the bed level has risen by about uh, 10 meters that's three stories of a multi-storied building when that happens then it changes the entire design parameters of the structure the dam and therefore you have to do recalculate the whole thing then you have you sh- ideally you require a fresh eia and you require a fresh uh, detailed project report you require fresh clearances without that this project cannot be considered to be uh, 50% uh, to be to, to be a project that is under construction similarly the fata biung project on the mandakini river it's i think uh, uh, 70 uh, megawatts that one the bed level changed by i think uh, 20 meters and the 
there's a huge lake that will now be formed behind the dam. The dam has been washed away completely. So I cannot imagine how the government will justify that these are 50% complete. Can you tell us something about what are, what is the state of the court cases uh, relating to dams in Uttarakhand, Ravi? The court case which led to the appointment of the experts body that I headed in 2013-2014, uh, that case is still going on. Uh, it has gone through two committees after our committee and uh, the case is still being fought in the courts. Right. Uh, Ravi, you told uh, us in February this year that until 10 years ago, you believed that hydropower projects could proceed without much damage to the environment. Could you tell us what made you change your mind? I don't think I said that. What I said was that there were cases where I could think of sustainable hydropower generation. These would largely be smaller projects, okay? Then when we did the study in 2013, when we saw the what happens during the construction and commissioning uh, operation of a hydropower project, that experience, the experience of several years, you know, uh, of the uh, operation of dams in the state, personal first-hand knowledge convinced me that we cannot afford these projects. But even at that stage, uh, I was willing to look at small and micro hydro projects. Okay. But then later, as I watched the economic shift, you know, today, a large project like the Tapovan Vishnu Guard, if it were to be operational, it would probably cost them uh, at a minimum 8 rupees per unit of power generated. Now, uh, a small dam, the power costs go up. So, a 25 uh, megawatt dam, it would be at least 10 rupees per unit and so on. But as you probably know, in the state of Tamil Nadu, solar power is already being supplied at 2 rupees 94 paise per uh, uh, per unit. So, these dams have become uneconomical and they will only, their costs will only increase with time as more and more regulation and better security measures are required. Therefore, I am saying that the era of dams is over. Anyway, you probably know that in many other countries, dams are being decommissioned. In the era, we are now in the midst of climate change. There's no doubt about it. Uh, the UN has already labeled the latest uh, report as code red for humanity. So in this time of climate change, where there will be an increasing frequency, there is an increasing frequency of extreme rainfall events, dams are no longer safe. But the government doesn't seem to share that opinion. That's the problem. And I think that they are going to learn prob uh, the, the uh, wisdom will dawn the hard way and the price will be paid by people who are most vulnerable. 
So, do you believe that uh, the Kedarnath floods, which killed 5,000 people, and the recent floods in the Rishi Ganga, Dholi Ganga, are the results of climate change? Something that you mentioned uh, just a short while ago? Yes. I don't uh, just believe. I'm convinced that they are. And not only, uh, and I don't, you know, I'm willing to acknowledge that I'm neither a climate expert, nor am I a geologist, nor a glaciologist, none of these. Okay. But I am an informed person who's been trained in the method of science. I know about engineering and I have personally visited most of these locations and I'm aware of what is the situation on the ground. Now, the climate change issue has completely altered uh, a lot of uh, the ways in which we use our natural resources. Uh, for our listeners, can you sort of sum up what you mean and what you understand by climate change, Ravi? Yes. Uh, climate change, let's be very practical. Climate change in the state of Uttarakhand has manifested itself in three major ways. One is the warming of the atmosphere. We are beginning to see higher uh, temperatures. When I came to uh, Uttarakhand in uh, 1988, the temperature rarely rose above 35, 36 degrees centigrade during the summer. And people used to say, if it goes up to 35, 36, you know, there will be rainfall and then things cool down. And that is exactly what used to happen. Now it is quite normal to have a few days at least, if not a couple of weeks at a time of 40 degrees plus temperatures in a place like Dehradun in Almora. Almora is at a height of 45 to 5,000 feet up. So the scientists, a study commissioned by the Ministry of Earth Sciences uh, produced a report, uh, IIT Delhi uh, 2020, in which they said that the Himalayas are facing a more rapid rate of uh, global warming than other parts of the world. Second, that they projected that if it is business as usual, then the temperature increase in the Himalayan region will be between 2.6 to 4.6 degrees centigrade by the end of this century. And as you know, 1.5 degrees is the uh, projected limit beyond which we can expect very serious impacts. The second manifestation is less winter precipitation, less snowfall. Up until uh, this, uh, the beginning of the 2000s decade, I had never seen mountains like uh, Kedarnath uh, Peak without snow, Badrinath, that area without snow cap peaks. But about 20 years ago, we began to see these peaks without snow in winter. And similarly, I see in the neighboring state of Himachal Pradesh. The third manifestation is the greater frequency of extreme events like cloudbursts. And these are all based on studies that have been done at the leading scientific institutions of this country. 
So what what are we do? What are we going to do with all this information? I mean, you paint a really scary picture, and so do others. So what are we really going to do as a country, as a society? Because clearly, this is a huge crisis for us. Look, the crisis is enormously severe. People just are shutting their eyes. You know, we are like ostriches burying our heads in the sand. Um, you know, it it has very severe implications for. Uh, the deposition of black carbon uh, on our uh, peaks and therefore probably ra- more rapid melting of the glaciers, loss of wildlife, loss of resources like fodder, medicinal herbs. You know, people, this is affecting people's daily lives. The loss of winter precipitation means less infiltration into the uh, mountain aquifers drying of springs and mountain streams, less base flows coming to our rivers. When I say less base flows, please understand one thing, that even at a place like Devprayag, which is not more than 175 kilometers from the source of the Ganga, where there should be a lot of glacial melt, the contribution, annual con- the contribution of glacial melt to the annual flows in the river at that point, at the Prayag, is only about 28%. The remaining 72% basically comes from rainfall and base flows. So base flows are very, very critical for the survival of our rivers, even the glacial rivers. And if there is a stream like the Kosi River, which is the lifeline of Almora, uh, it's a rain-fed river. And for a river like that, the uh, base flows are very critical. In 2002, I happened to be in Almora at a time when there was a severe crisis. The Kosi had almost dried up and the water supply for Almora was being affected. The DM ordered that all the upstream irrigation channels be blocked so that water could flow down to Almora. And that was the peak uh, season for raising nurseries for paddy cultivation. So farming was very severely affected and it happens more frequently now. So these are very serious uh, uh, issues which will affect people's lives and livelihoods. Now, what is what can be done? What That's can be done? Question. Yeah. The first thing to recognize is that in a mountain state like ours, forests are the backbone of the ecology of this region, as well as the people's lives in the mountain uh, area. Second, so afforestation is should be the primary developmental activity in the state, number one. Even agricultural productivity depends on better forests. The second thing is that we need to extend our um, infrastructure. I'm quite aware of that. But what we need is safer infrastructure, not infrastructure that will threaten people's lives. Third, we need much more emphasis on um, sustainable and productive agriculture. When I say um, mountain agriculture, when I say agriculture, I'm including horticulture and animal husbandry as part of it. For this, what we will require is better irrigation, better forests, better credit, better knowledge systems. We don't have knowledge of how to deal 
how do we get productive and sustainable agriculture in a time of changing climate? It's not that this knowledge doesn't exist. It exists, but it doesn't reach the farmer. Similarly, if we are going to switch to horticulture, not everybody uh, is into horticulture these days. Then we need tourism, but not this kind of religion-driven tourism. We need this tourism to generate uh, resources for households, to incomes for households. And that can only be done if we disperse tourism away from these four shrines, uh, five shrines, even the sixth shrine is up there. So we need to have dispersed tourism. And you know that Uttarakhand has so many places where there are fantastic natural vistas, where there are all kinds of different types of uh, wildlife. So we can easily disperse it provided we apply our minds. Now the government has done something to promote home space. Do you see any of that happening? Yes, it will happen. It will happen. I'm. My friends basically call me an optimist. But you know, the thing is that we will learn the hard way. When our backs are pushed against the wall, it is only then that we are going to learn that no, we cannot do business as usual. But in the meantime, in the meantime, the vulnerable people will have paid a very heavy price. And therefore, all these things are possible only with good governance. And good governance will require breaking the nexus between politicians, bureaucracy, contractors. Right. Uh, you know, you said you were an optimist. Uh, you know, looking back, uh, someone like Sundarlal Bahuguna, for instance, uh, he'd been warning for the last 30, 40 years about the dangers from big dams. But, and there are so many others also. But nobody really took notice. So is you, as you say, it's going to be events that are finally going to make us sit up and take notice. I mean, 5,000 people dying in Kedarnath floods in 2013, 200-odd uh, people dying in February. Is this what is going to you know sort of push us to do something, Ravi? Yes, it is going to push us. Because ultimately, you can't have 5,000 people dying of disasters every other year. Okay, and that is what has been forecast. Unfortunately, I have forgotten the reference of that paper, but about five or six years ago, I read a paper in, I think it was either Nature or Science magazine, uh, in which the scientists had predicted that there would be a sharp uh, global rise in global warming in this decade. Not in the next decade, not in the decade after. It would happen in this decade. In fact, uh, some people labeled it as a hockey stick curve. Okay. Uh, so we are going to face a lot of crisis and that is going to uh, demand a different way of doing things. Right. So, uh, and and you, you, when you gave your committee's report in 2014 uh, to the Supreme Court, I mean, did you see any change in attitude uh, within the government, within the bureaucracy, uh, you know, uh, among politicians? Did you see any changes, Ravi? Yes. See, even before the report, maybe sometime around 2007 or so, I recall that the Kaur Yatra 
had been building up very rapidly. And many of the Kamadiyas, instead of just staying in Haridwar, were going all the way up to Gangotri, uh, Gaumuk, more as a picnic. And there was so much mess left by these um, Kamadiyas in that area, uh, which is basically a very, very pristine area, that finally the forest department stepped in and they made some regulation saying that no more than 150 people will be allowed uh, up to Gaumuk, from Gangotri to Gaumuk, and not more than 20 ponies a day. And that rule is strictly followed even today. Okay, So they can do it if they want to. Secondly, uh, after the report came out, the Ministry of Environment and Forest actually accepted the report. Uh, they filed an affidavit in the Supreme Court. I think it was either end of November, early December of 2014, where the government said that they have accepted the report and all its recommendations. Okay, so there are there are intelligent and wise officials who are seeing the writing on the wall. Of course, later that. Secretary was transferred out to the Ministry of Water Resources. And uh, so the Ministry of Environment and Forest changed its stand later. Okay, But there are instances like this to show that, yes, people are accepting uh, some of these uh, predictions that scientists are making. And also, you know, one of the persons who is very... Uh, was very instrumental in uh, declaring the Bhagirathi eco-sensitive zone was Jairam Ramesh, the then Minister for Environment and Forest. In 20, uh, he, he mobilized the entire government's resources between 2009, October 2009, when the idea was first mooted in the National Ganga River Basin Authority and had it notified by December 2012. Okay, So there are, uh, today it's a member of the Rajya Sabha who often goes to the government and says, look, we need to take a second look at how we are managing the river Ganga. Kumar Repi Raman of uh, UP. And you know, it's not that the politicians are not talking about sensible things. They say one thing and they do something else. That's the problem. Ravi Chopra, thank you so much for talking to the Hindus Aid Focus podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you, sir. In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by the Hindu. We'll see you soon.